I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, my name is Alicia Sikariska. I'm a reporter with Yahoo Finance Canada and welcome to Crisis Management, a show dedicated to helping small businesses navigate their way through the coronavirus pandemic. Now, we've got another busy episode for you all today. We've got lots to talk about, including airline demand, as well as pandemic pay raises. But before we get to those topics, I want to encourage everyone that's tuned in to get involved in the conversation, especially if you are a small business owner. We want to hear from you and the situation that you're dealing with, and if you have any questions about the recovery, the reopening, or just dealing with the new normal. You can reach out to us by emailing me at alicia at yahoofinance.com. That's A-L-I-C-J-A at yahoofinance.com. And for those of you who have already tuned in before, that you know that I'm not going to be the one answering those questions. We're going to leave that to Mark Satov. He is the founder of Satov Consultants, comes to the table with more than 20 years of experience. Welcome back to the show, Mark. Great to be back today. I'm looking forward to the discussion. I think we have some interesting stories. I suspect you and I are going to have some debates about a couple, so it's going to be a great show. Yes, yeah. We will get to that uh, that de- topic we're going to debate on a little bit later in the show, but first we're going to kick things off uh, talking about the headlines that have us talking and have grabbed our attention this week. Um, for me personally, I, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking a lot about summer travel as the weather warms up and, and summer is finally here. And the airlines are also clearly thinking about that because they've started to release their summer schedules. We saw Transat unveil theirs. They're going to be flying to 22 destinations in Europe, uh, as well as the United States, the Caribbean, and then within Canada as well. That all starts July 23rd. WestJet also unveiled their schedule. They're going to be flying to 45 destinations, uh, 39 within Canada, a handful in the United States, and one in Mexico. And then Air Canada is also flying internationally as well as domestically, and they're hoping to add some U.S. destinations as well. But the thing is, there are still travel restrictions that are in place. We've got the 14-day quarantine rule, and the Canada-U.S. border is still restricted to non-essential travel through June. So, Mark, when you look at these schedules, I mean, do you think they're realistic? Uh, Do you think that travel demand is going to be back this summer? Well, I think they're realistic in the sense that they will fly. I don't know how bi- how full the flights will be. I mean, I've spoken to people who have been traveling uh, over the last few weeks, and they say it's sort of like a surreal experience because they go into mm-hmm. the airports and there are no crowds, uh, and they go on the flights and there are a few people. Uh, I think there's some technical thing where uh, you know they need to keep fl- uh, planes flying in the air some uh, percentage of time, so I think they want to do that. Uh, I, I think not a lot of people are going to be traveling. Uh, I think that the restrictions are going to be lifted uh, in many places, but not all places. I think there's a risk that you go somewhere and then you can't come back. You know, I I might've mentioned on the show that I have a trip myself planned to Europe in October. 
Uh, I have not canceled it yet. It's in Spain, uh, but I have to fly through London. And so if I if if I go, I'm sort of taking the chance that either London or Spain, if they're open when they go, are clo- closed while I get there because there's a second wave or just a spike. So there are a lot of reasons why people will not travel a lot. I do think that people are eager to travel when they feel that they can. And I do think that within Canada, people feel a little bit more comfortable traveling. I think that uh, it's hard to imagine people traveling to the U.S. a lot from Canada uh, based on us watching the situation there. When I look at it from a technical perspective, where I'm certainly not an expert on technical, I mean, from a health perspective, I do believe that traveling is a lot like retail and other things where if we get people to wear masks, I talk about it on every show, I talk about it in social media, if we get people to wear masks, it's actually relatively safe. I don't mean to say there's no risk, but the more that we get the government to mandate masks, which they have not yet done, I just don't know why, the more a lot of things like travel will be safer. And when you think about travel, we re- mm-hmm. we're reminded that this is a global pandemic not a country specific one and so if one country mandates masks and another one doesn't and one airport looks like this you sort of i'll say reduce the impact right yeah and we have seen transport canada in, uh, have some rules in place and, and require airlines to do certain things in order to fly but they are still there are quarantine rules as i mentioned the 14 days i mean it's hard to imagine someone wanting to go on vacation for a week and then risk the potential of having to come back and then quarantine for two weeks if you have to go into an office or or or, you know are unable to work from home it's not just taking a week off you're taking you're gonna have to take much more time so yeah do you i mean i guess when we look at at travel and and what markets might come back first what do you think where do you think people will be traveling so i i I think it's not always so much the destination i mean i think a little bit is the destination because as i said i think you know, imagining going to Florida, not that that's a big summer destination anywhere, Texas or one of these states that's opened up too much and too quickly and is seeing a surge. I think it's hard to imagine people going there. So uh, there's, there's a, I'll say an individual travel and then there's a business travel. And I think let's cover the business one quickly. Business travel is going to happen and it's going to be essential business travel. Air Canada came out and they said, you know, they think business travel is going to be somewhat back to normal in the fall. I don't know what they're thinking. It's not going to be, you know, like I do networking trips to a few cities uh, in the US every year. uh, And I do a few times a year to New York. I'm not doing that in in the fall. First of all, nobody wants to meet me. Second of all, if I don't have a real specific meeting, I'm not going. So business, I think, is going to happen when needed and not when not. On the individual travel, can you do on the business side though? Can't can't isn't Zoom aren't Zoom calls going to be replacing a lot of that? In the time being, uh, for the time being, yes. I mean, in the long term, no, because I think Zoom it does not really replace in person connection, uh, and it's also very tiring. Uh, but I think that uh, yeah, Zoom will replace what is maybe other people or maybe some meetings people used to think were essential and now they say you know it's kind of like is it really essential is it essential but can be replaced by zoom or is it you know not essential at all right and so there's that that gray Mm -hmm. bucket in the middle it's a good point um on the individual travel i think as you say some of it depends on destination and some of it depends on holiday type so if you imagine uh you know spending time in two european cities over two weeks during the summer. I think that's a little unrealistic because you may have travel between them and you don't know what's open. But if you imagine going to Italy and renting a house for a month, 
uh, with your family or with some people. So we say, okay, well, actually, that's not so bad. Worst case scenario for the first two weeks, we're not allowed to leave the house, but you've rented some villa uh, in Tuscany with a few people, uh, or you've rented an Airbnb, which are going to go cheap all over Europe, uh, then you could imagine actually doing that. I think as you talk about on the way back, there's that quarantine risk. I also think that people are going to be more ready to quarantine the second time. In some ways, they don't want to because they've been through it and they finally got out. But in other ways, they can get their head around it. They understand, okay, worst case scenario, you know, we come back, we have to stay where we are. Yeah, they can be prepared for that, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wow. And now I just want to go on vacation to Tuscany. Um, But let's move on to another topic. Um, We saw some new numbers come out about consumer debt levels in Canada this week. Uh, According to Equifax Canada, there's actually a drop off of consumer debt balances in the first quarter of the year for the first time in a decade. Uh, Canadians had roughly 23,000 of consumer debt as of the end of March. It's not totally surprising given what we saw with the lockdown. and just the the broader slowdown, people weren't spending more. It makes sense. Uh, but do you think this trend is going to continue, or are we going to see pent up demand and back to those pretty high debt levels I, in here in Canada? I, I'm going to say yes to both. In other words, I think the trend will continue somewhat because I feel like, uh, and, and I'm I'm very happy the story has come out now because I was wondering about this at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, recognizing that many people are uh, out of work or partially out of work or, uh, you know, like me, they own a business, but they're not going to make as much this year. Uh, so there are, but so those are people who are impaired, but a lot of people are not impaired and not spending. And so I'm not surprised. Um, I think there is definitely pent up demand. I think that what we will see is people indulging in small treats, not big treats with the extra money. So if you imagine that somebody, you know, family net $70,000 a year, uh, you know, after tax or $80,000 a year, and they're saving five or $6,000 a year because of they're not spending on gas and going out and some clothing, are they going to spend it all? I don't think they'll spend it all because I think that everybody has uncertainty about what's going to happen over the next year and a half or two. And uh, we're going to talk about that. I'll share with you what my clients are saying that, you know, we're going to get back to some type of normal, but we're not going all the way back. And so if we think about it, you know, could we imagine, uh, you know, doing some things? Could we imagine going out for dinner an extra time when we're allowed to uh, or buying uh, an article of clothing that we've been wanting for sure? I doubt that people who even maybe were a bit luckier and saved $10,000, I doubt they're saying, okay, this is the time to uh, do a renovation on my house that I wasn't planning or buying a new car. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that there'll be some pent up demand for sure. And some even increased demand for people who are rewarding themselves for the hardship that they're under and they're saving. But I don't think there's going to be a lot of big new purchases. I think there'll yeah. be, a, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think, uh, I mean, a major source of debt in Canada is mortgages. Uh, And so I guess we'll have to see what happens. There's still a lot of questions about the housing market and what impact this is going to have over the long term, the new CMHC rules. Uh, I think we'll we'll get a lot more answers to the long term impact once we see kind of how the housing market plays out as well. For sure, for sure. And I, uh, I don't want to share my whole financial history with the world here, but I will say that uh, my wife and I just decided to do some refinancing uh, on our home because, uh, you know, whether or not we need debt and some people need or don't, it's a time where debt is so cheap 
uh, on the individual mm-hmm. side. And so it may be actually debt goes up because, you know, we're creating flexibility when money is so cheap and we're sort of right. removing a problem for the future. I, I, I think we will see uh, there are people on the sidelines from a home purchase perspective, which is not a two-year decision. It's a 20-year decision. I, mm-hmm. I think that home home sales and home prices are going to rebound somewhat and relatively quickly, not all the way. Okay. Um, so before I want, we get to questions, I do want to talk about, <laughs> this is the topic that I think we might have some debate in and it's, it's oh, are we out over. of time already. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> we have a few minutes left, but we're going to have to get through it quickly. Um, it, it's come up a lot across the country. It's become a bit of a controversial topic. Uh, today we saw empire, which is the parent company of Sobeys. They reported their earnings, uh, up more than 50 million, uh, in terms of profit from the same time last year. They also increased their quarterly dividend from $0.12 per share to $0.13. I mention this because Sobeys uh, is one of the companies that's kind of at the center of this consumer backlash that we're seeing, one of uh, three, Loblaws, Metro, and then Sobeys. They all announced, uh, confirmed over the last week that they would be cancelling the $2 uh, an hour pay raise that they offered to their workers throughout the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Sobeys actually called it Hero Pay. Now, I know the situation um, is different south of the border, but we did see Target yesterday announce that they are going to be making their $15 an hour wage permanent. Um, but let's talk about the pay rate. Uh, what do you make of the decision to to cancel it uh, by these grocery stores all on the same day? The three of them, I might I add. Yeah, I, I think... Uh... I think there's some signaling that goes on there where one does it and the other one thinks that they can, and they've all been talking about when they could do it. It's, it's complex, right? Uh, I think that we need to look at this in, uh, in tandem with looking at the general situation of grocery stores and of the people who work there and of minimum wage in general. And we have advised businesses, you know, QSR chains, grocery stores who rely on people who make minimum wage And when the minimum wage moved up, and it moved up a lot uh, suddenly a couple of years ago, it was a pretty big adjustment, right? And uh, I was one of the people who said, you know, I think think the whole minimum wage thing um, is a lot easier to solve than we make it, because I don't know why we don't just take minimum wage, set it once, and always agree that we're going to move it up by an index, by a rate that's indexed to inflation. Instead, what we do is we think about it every once in a while, and we have all these debates, and then we move it up by a big amount, and businesses complain, and then we don't move it again for two or three years. So I, I actually think it's related to minimum wage, because to some extent, you say, how could people, and then, you know, some of these people who make minimum wage are, you know, single mothers, and they have, like, children, and they're supporting families on $11 an hour, you know, going back. It's like, how can that be in a country that's wealthy like this? So I was a big supporter of normalizing minimum wage uh, and getting it up to, I'll say, a living wage, and maybe $15 isn't Mm -hmm. enough for everybody. When you look at the pandemic pay, we have to compartmentalize. Is there a financial issue and a financial hardship that these people are undergoing? Uh, versus is is there a a health issue or a risk issue? And I think for a period of time, the grocers clearly had extra profit uh, and clearly, you know, the risk, I think, was perceived to be greater at the beginning because we were in the throes of the first wave and we really knew nothing about how to protect people. 
And if I think about- But we are still in a pandemic. Like the pandemic is not over. We're still, you know, people are still being urged to wear masks. I know my grocery store, operations have not changed much. There's still lineups. There's still somebody that's at the front that's disinfecting everything. Like, you know, I think that that was kind of one of the biggest reasons for the backlash is that the pandemic is still- I agree. I I, I agree. I, I think one of the things we have to think about is- uh, do well, first of all, when are they going to return to normal margins and say what you want about the grocers? Grocery is a low margin business. They make 20 points yeah. on the top. They make three points on the bottom. They do not have a lot of wiggle room. Uh, e-commerce actually costs grocers a lot, right? Uh, and they are spending a lot of money. So the fact that they got increased volume during the spike was actually enough to outweigh the increase in cost through increase in staff, through doing e-commerce, which they've not figured out yet, and giving extra pay. And I think what would happen is if they kept all of the increases and when demand, and we've already seen it, we've looked at it, demand has actually normalized somewhat for grocers, you're going to see them move into negative profit, right? Now, you sort of look at it and you say, okay, well, Shouldn't they be happy as long as long as they have a reasonable business? And you could also say the workers, um, you know, they should be happy. They have a good job that they can keep. And now they have a wage that is at least a bit better. I would bet there are a lot of people who are out of a job who would say, I wouldn't mind that job. So, listen, it's a gray area. I'm not actually saying that uh, they should have absolutely repealed the hero pay. What I'm saying is I understand it because there's not necessarily as much money to play with as people think. And I am thankful that at least the people who work in groceries and many other who work on minimum wage at least now have something that is closer to something they could live on. And so I I don't think that it's like there's a compounding factor of health risk and a terrible wage that all needs to be addressed right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, I do think that uh, we knew that this was going to be rolled back at some point. Like that was, we knew that this wasn't going to be uh, permanent, but I think the fact that they all did it on the same day in the midst of the pandemic, it just perhaps wasn't the best PR move to say the very least. Oh, now PR is a whole <laughs> other thing. I just, but again, I, I just want to make sure we compartmentalize because the they're not under new financial hardship, the people who work in groceries. So, uh, so they're, mm-hmm. they, they may feel some, some, some health risk, but they're not suddenly under new financial hardship that they need to make up for. This is compensating them with money for a perceived hardship, which, which I shouldn't say perceived, which is very real. And I think is slightly less today because I think we know how to handle it. Right. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to leave this here because I do want to leave time for some questions. Sure. Uh, We've got some coming in from our uh, our audience. Uh, let's get to those. Um, okay, here we I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. With the other day's announcement about regions, including York and Durham, moving into phase two of reopening, this is obviously Ontario specific. uh, What advice do you have for hair salon that's based in Toronto who may now lose up lose out on that pent-up demand with customers making the short drive outside of the city to get their hair done. What advice do you have for this person? I would say, broadly speaking, 
don't worry about it. And I would say, and I'm not trying to dismiss the concern about lost revenue, but I'll, I'm going to put together a couple of, uh, of facts and, and anecdotes. One is that uh, people are very excited to go back. Uh, and I don't think that there's going to be enough capacity in the outlying regions to get all the people who are from Toronto to actually get their haircut two weeks earlier. Right. So I think that people are anxious to go back and cutting your hair um, uh, is something that people actually get used to a certain person doing it. I don't think people switch necessarily. Right. Uh, you get comfortable with a person you have a relationship with. You sit in the chair, you talk about life. You like the way they cut your hair. Um, I, I'm just sort of funny because I see myself in program and it's like, what is he talking about? But I used to have hair. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, look at your hair. It's actually great. And I imagine. I'm due. I'm due. Let me tell you. I, see, I can't tell that. But I'm guessing if I said to you, listen, do you want to wait another two weeks or do you want to risk going to somebody you don't know? I think you would probably say, you know what, I'm just going to wait another two weeks. If it was the type of thing where, you know, we had to wait two or three months, then you'd have to, you, mm -hmm. you know, so. It would be a different thing. So I think hair salons may be different than other services. Uh, so I do think there are other areas, but in hair salons specifically, I think there'll be plenty of business to go around. Uh, and I think we'll be open soon enough that this is, uh, that this is not a real issue. Yeah, I guess it helps going into this situation, having that loyal client base and having good yeah. relationships with your customers to make sure that they do return to you and, and wait those extra weeks to come back to you. Um, the okay. person who cut my, oh, I'm sorry, I just have to say, the person <laughs> who cut my hair sent me a text and she was like, maybe you'll come to my home and get your hair cut because she normally sees me at her, at her place and we get along very well and uh, joke around a lot. And so I sent her a picture of me and I, she didn't reply back. She was too shocked to do that to me, she said. Anyway. Okay. Uh, moving on to our next question. Uh, this is from a retail store operator. It says, uh, this is actually back to the topic we were just discussing. Um, I am concerned about the pressure to keep pandemic pay after COVID. Uh, I'm worried if I keep minimum wage for longer, um, above minimum wage for longer, my margins will become unsustainable. But if you're losing the ability to get staff to come back to work and stay, what advice do you have? Uh, this is going to be a little bit more situation specific because it, you know, if you operate one store, uh, if you're a boutique of sorts, I don't, obviously I don't know the sector cause they didn't mm -hmm. say if you're a higher margin business than grocery, and if you are running an individual local store, uh, the decision about keeping an employee, it's more important to make sure you have that employee who may have rapport with your customers or who works well with you. And, you know, I run a small business as, as I've said before, I feel a particular loyalty to individuals because they help me run my business and we're sort of all in this together. And so if you're surviving and if you're, if you think you're going to do okay, and if you can afford it, uh, you should consider where you can afford to sort of share the wealth a little bit. And remember that a lot of people won't have a retail store to go back to. Um, but you have to make that decision based on the employee's situation, based on your situation, how much margin you have. Uh, like I say, if you are, uh, if you're operating a convenience store, um, then, you know, they make higher margins than grocery stores, but they also have a lot higher rent and other expenses. And so some stores don't have the margin to play with, but again, small stores, the value proposition for a small store is individual attention. And so be careful about the risks that you're taking with employees who have good rapport with those customers. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, okay, moving on to our next question. This one is about a topic that we discuss very often, and that's uh, rent, rent payment, uh, commercial rent. This is um, from someone whose landlord is actually willing to participate in the government program, which allows uh, rent to be partially subsidized by the government um, and then split between the landlord and tenant. But this person's business is actually down 65% um, in terms of revenue, which is below the 70% threshold required to qualify for the program. Uh, the, this business says, it seems unfair given my business is still hurting. Is there something I can do to get benefits? Okay. I may have mentioned this before on the show, maybe. <laughs> the government has not done a good job with this program they have created. Just once web. or twice. You've <laughs> they have created a messy morass of <laughs> rules and regulations. It just don't all makes sense together. So you're telling me as as a government that my business has impacted 65%. And if you think about the margin that, you know, businesses make 10% on the bottom line and they have 20 or 30% gross margin. If they're down 65%, they're way underwater, right? So uh, six, like why the threshold was 70%, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, in conjunction with the other rules. This person is lucky that they have a landlord who's willing to play ball. I think it's a pretty simple discussion. Hey, landlord, you were willing to forgo 25%. uh, Why don't you just give me a 25% reduction? And I think if the landlord says no, you have to wonder why they would say no, because they clearly care enough about their tenants uh, or feel they're going to lose them enough to forgo the 25%. They could just you know, give you the 25%, maybe they'll feel a little bit slighted because the government's not putting in their 50% and they have to put in 25. But I think if they're mostly doing it because they've decided that they, I don't want to say like the tenant, I'll say like the tenant in a business way and want to give them the break. And so I hope that in this case, the landlord just gives them the 25%. Um, It's not enough, by the way, if your business is down 65%. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the businesses that I've spoken to over the last few weeks and months, they, they're all, you have to have those discussions with the landlord first and see what they're thinking. In a lot of cases, there have been landlords that are willing to, um, you know, defer rental payments or come up with some kind of arrangement. So I think, yeah, best bet, first step, talk to your landlords and see what, what they're thinking here. Um, Don't. Although it's tempting, and I, I, I'm, I, I shouldn't admit that my brain went there. Don't fudge the numbers because it's close. Because the government will audit you, and right. it's one thing to it's one thing to delay a payment or do something like that. Don't fudge the numbers. It sounds like a good idea. It's going to be a mistake. Yeah, yep. I think that's fair. Um, okay, that is all the time we have for questions. Uh, a reminder to give us your feedback and, and send those questions in. You can do that by emailing me at alicja at yahoofinance.com. Now, Mark, before we wrap up the show, I want to get a sense of what you are hearing from your clients this week uh, in terms of, of pandemic and, and reopening and, and all of that. What are you hearing from them? I think the main message that I'm hearing from my clients uh, is let's get on with it. And I'm not uh, saying let's get on with it and ignore restrictions and imagine that volume is going to be 100%, but we cannot sit on the sidelines anymore. Uh, We have to just find a way to deal with whatever we're going to have to deal with. There's a health and safety issue. Uh, There is going to be a financial burden, but 
people want to get out there and do business. As I always say, we do a lot of business with private equity funds. They are now really looking to get out there and do deals. I speak to people who are debt providers. I had a call with uh, an alternative debt provider who uh, who didn't know me and called me because they know what I do. And they said, listen, when you talk to your clients, if they're looking for debt, we are looking to put money to work. And uh, I spoke with another private equity fund uh, who is looking to put money to work. And I think when you see the equity and debt providers looking to put money to work, uh, that's dem- that's a good sign. And what they are saying is, it's it's not that they think it is over. It's actually, they know it's not going to be over for a while. They cannot possibly put everything on freeze for a year and a half. And, and again, you know, who knows when we'll be completely back to normal. And so what they're, what they're saying is we need to find some way to normalize. In the case of private equity funds and debt providers, it may be the value of the business. But in the case of others, it's what amount of business we can get. And as I, we talked about on the last show, you know, be adaptable. We have to just get on with it. And so they want to get a sense for the new normal now. It's not the new normal forever and find a way to run their business through that. And that to me has been uh, the big theme in in recent times. And Mm -hmm. I'm encouraged by it Uh, in the private equity world. Again, we did a piece of uh, research to see uh, how many companies have changed hands uh, just in one sector. Like we looked at retail and consumer goods companies. Yeah. And I... I mean, I follow the space. I was shocked to see how many transactions happened in April and May. And uh, in what way was all... why was it so surprising to you? Because I didn't think that, that like, I didn't think that that many deals were being done hmm. during the pandemic, and they were not all uh, distressed. Uh, send me a lifeline. Uh, you know, I'm buying it out of bankruptcy type of things. Because in April it was too early anyway, mm-hmm. and the government subsidies were so much. It was deals that were somewhat in the works and deals that sort of started and maybe they knew they knew the company well enough. And now we're also starting to see the structured processes start. So we're seeing, you know, investment bankers and other intermediaries. So, again, that, that's a portion of the market that I know a fair bit about. But I would say, generally speaking, businesses are they want to get on with it and they want to just accept what the reality is, accept that there are going to be some issues uh, but they they want to just find a way to 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 work through it and do business. And I I think that one of the things we also have to remember is, you know, the U.S. consumer still drives the world economy. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure that you and I would agree that uh, the reopening of states at the speed uh, that they have is not responsible for my health and safety. And they're you know the people who are militant about not wearing masks. I mean that's just that's just silliness. But whether they're right or wrong doesn't matter from a business perspective. What matters from a business perspective is, will they change their mind? And my sense in the US is that they are not going to change their mind. They're going to keep spending and they're going to live with the repercussions. Again, I may not make that decision as a political leader there when I take health and safety and business and put them together, Mm -hmm. but I could predict that they're not going to, in which case people who sell goods that are bought by U.S. consumers can have some confidence that they're going to have a decent percentage of their volume pretty soon. And so I think that's what people want to capitalize on. Yeah, I mean, that is kind of, that's a topic that we're seeing uh, become more of a debate as we do see these reopenings. And also, particularly in the the U.S., um, the case numbers continue to increase. But um, I think we'll, we'll leave that conversation there. 
Uh, thank you, Mark, so much for joining us again for this episode. And a reminder to our audience to keep your comments and your questions coming. Shoot me an email. It's alicia at yahoofinance.com. And join us for the next episode of Crisis Management next week on Tuesday at 2 p.m. Thanks for watching. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.